Hi, this is Pastor Josh. Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is a place where people can connect with Jesus and with each other. And if you're looking to get connected, you can find more information at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from a guest speaker. All right. Good morning, Harbor. How you doing? Yeah, I'm not sure where they got all those old videos of me, but uh, whoever put that together, thanks a lot. It really shows my six-pack really good. I try to hide that as much as I can now, but we are glad you're here. Uh, Pastor Josh is out in Idaho. He was invited out there to speak at a church that has been supporting Harbor since its beginning, and they heard what God's doing here, and they just asked Josh to come out and give a report to their church there. So they're two hours uh, behind us, so you still have time to pray and just ask God to bless Josh and uh, use him in a way that will be a blessing to that church for their investment that they've made all these uh, years here on the Cape. Now, this shows the importance because Harbor also does that same thing in investing in other churches that are starting in other places here in the country and around the world. So thank you for your giving. It's just we pay it forward. That's just part of it. Now, when I have the opportunity to speak here at Harbor, I, I portray myself out in the lobby sometimes very stoically. And uh, so when I speak, I try to make it uh, with a lot of humor, just so you know, I do know how to laugh. And uh, I do have a funny side to me. It's not always the, uh, the stoic side. But today's uh, subject content, uh, Pastor Josh asked Marilyn and myself, by the way, that's my wife. If you, have a, if you have a choice between meeting the Searses and you want to meet the best, always go to her. Did I do that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah you guys are going home to your homes. I'm going home. Uh, so I'm going to plant seeds wherever I can. Uh, but my name is Ron. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, Pastor Josh asked us uh, a while back to speak, and he said, we're doing this series on the Fight Club, and there's part of this that I would really like you and Marilyn to share your heart and your life experience with. And so today's message content, as Bobby indicated, is a little heavier than what we normally deal with. And uh, so what we are doing is we are approaching this from the standpoint of this is our living room, okay? And we have three pictures of our three oldest grown grandchildren. And uh, so if you want to see some really awesome, good-looking, cute grandkids, just come on up after church and we'll be glad to show them to you. Uh, but this is our, our living room. And you are our family and this is our home. And so what we are doing is we are approaching it from the standpoint of we're inviting you to come into our living room and let's just sit down and let's just talk about some issues that many of us deal with from time to time uh, in life. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just talk through it. It's a little bit different than what we normally do here at Harbor, but our prayer is that God will take something that's said or shared and use it in a way in your life that is a blessing to you. Okay, and I have a little bit of an ADHD, so I kind of bounce in and out. And Ron's given me permission to interrupt him, because if I don't, that thought that I was going to say is already gone. Uh, yeah. 
uh, emphasize the ADD, okay? And Maryland does bounce all over the place, but what I have learned over the years is normally wherever that ball lands, it's really some good thought there. And so, you know, when we do have the opportunity to speak together, I just say, go ahead and bounce wherever you want to, and I know the people are going to be blessed by it. So if that offends you or puts you off just a little bit that she's interrupting me, she's doing it by my please do that for me, uh, kind of a, an agreement, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Now. If I'm going to learn anything about family life, about how to deal between husband and wife, parent, child, siblings, those kind of things, then in my mind, the natural thing is just go into the Word of God, find the smartest person that's there, read after them, study after them, and pick up what they did and they didn't do and mimic that, you know, kind of a thing, and it will work, it will work in, in my favor and for my benefit to do that. And so in, in the book of Acts chapter 13, God is talking about a man who lived a thousand years before Acts is written, and it's King David. And so God's speaking about King David himself and giving his opinion. He says, there's not anyone who has ever lived that is closer to my heart than David is. So now God looking, and he knows everybody because he created them, and him going down the checklist of everyone who's ever lived or ever will live, he says, I want to tell you guys something. David is the epitome. He, he is the example that you should, you should build your life off of. And so I went back and I just wrote down a few things about the life of David. And I want to just, I'm going to read down through some facts. It's kind of a 30,000 foot view of uh, David's life and uh, closer to the heart of God, but he was hated by all of his brothers. Nobody in his family loved him. His, his mom and dad forgot that he even existed. He was a killer of giants, and when I read that, my mind went to Gronkowski. I can just see David being a Gronkowski where, put me in the game, I can catch the ball, I will absolutely win the game for you, just put me in the game. That's how I view a killer of giants. But David was a harpist. He, he played a harp. Um, if you're a harpist, uh, I'm, I don't mean to do a disservice to you, but grow up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have a harpist I know come up afterwards and hit me over the head saying, do you know these things weigh 3,000 pounds? And I think it's a harp. I don't see Gronkowski playing a harp. I'm sorry. That doesn't fit. And yet David, killer of giants, and he carries a harp around with him. He was hated by his father-in-law. In fact, his father-in-law, who was King Saul, tried to kill him on numerous occasions. He publicly danced down Main Street buck naked. Okay, try that. Naked. Well, naked. 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 All right. He was an adulterer and a murderer. His son violated very aggressively one of his sisters. David knew about it and did not do one thing. Just sat back on that knowledge. One of the other brothers found out about the violation of his sister, plotted for a couple of years, threw a party, invited this son to the party and killed him. David knew that and never said a word 
about it. His favorite son, who's Absalom, stole the kingdom from him, kicked him out of his palace, took over everything that he had, and made him leave the palace in the capital city in a drainage ditch during the middle of the night. That same son violated all of his stepmothers in public view, and his home life was filled with nothing but internal struggles. There's a whole lot more that I could go into, but for sake of time, I won't. In my mind, this does not fit someone who is closest to the heart of God. I would think... Yeah. I would think that they would be holy, loyal, read their Bible, pray, sing gospel music, go to church all the time, pay their tithes, be kind to everyone they meet, pay for Dunkin' Donuts for the next five cars that are in line behind them, kind of a guy, and yet David wasn't. How can this be? How is it possible? How is it possible when there is so much violence in his life for this to happen? Thank you. <laughs> okay, when I was a, a little girl, I was raised in a fairly dysfunctional home. My mother suffered from manic depression and um, horrible migraine headaches. So I was pretty much of a daddy's girl because everywhere he would go, he would take me and I would get a Coke and a candy bar or whatever. But we had to be real quiet in our home um, because of the situation with my mom. So um, when I was around 11 years old, um, my father started um, sexually abusing me. And um, except for the couple of years, he was a, a really good dad. I forgave him for that and put it back in the recesses of mine somewhere because in those days, years ago, years ago, um, there were no books, there were no videos, um, there was nobody that you talked to about this type of subject. And I think I thought as a child, I must have been the only person in the world that ever had this happen to them. So I just put it deep in the recesses of my mind. But what I realized was the um, sin that was done to me was not my fault, but the sins that I created afterward are my fault. And I didn't realize it until many years later when I finally allowed God to step into my life and begin healing me that my actions outwardly to my children, to Ron, to others were um, effects of my abuse. Um, for instance, I, I had a total lack of worthfulness. I, I felt I was worthless, and I felt like anytime anybody wanted to do something nice for me or do something with me, it was because of something they wanted me to do or something they wanted to get out of me. So therefore, that led to a, a, a fairly lonely life. I also had anger issues that would pop up at the least unexpected moment, and I'm looking at myself thinking, where did that come from? Um, many other symptoms of, of sexual abuse, physical abuse, or um, verbal abuse, it's, it, it's pretty much in the same boat with the symptoms of that. Um, what, I, uh, what I did was, for years and years, I just hid that. I told Ron before we were married. I wanted him to know, and he wanted to marry me anyway. 
And he is a counselor, but I would not let him talk to me about it. I wouldn't let him, wouldn't uh, talk to others about it. Um, when my dad would come around, I would insist that Ron would be nice to him. And we found a verse in the Bible that said, um, um, pray, oh, gosh, I've just lost my train of thought. There's a few verses there. The one so that, where I, we I prayed know. for him to be successful. Oh, the goodness of God. The goodness of God brings repentance. So um, Ron and I prayed for him on a regular basis that God would be good to him. Now that sounds like uh, weird because you would think that you would hate your perpetrator and want evil to happen to them. But I wanted my dad to repent. I wanted him to um, come clean on this thing. Well, for 30 years I hid it until one day I found out that I was not the only one that he had abused. There had been many others in that path. And for some reason, that did more harm to me than the actual abuse did because then I felt guilty. I felt like if I had said something, I would have, they could have spared others. So I internalized all these things and um, when it all came out, it was, I, I have a whole testament about it. It's too, too much to say right now. But I allowed God for the first time in this area to come in the deep recesses of my heart to start uh, the healing process. Um, before, I, not anything like I was before, I actually have joy and love life. And I was a victim before, but I'm a victorious survivor now. Please hear me. Silence is the loudest scream some people can give. You may not be saying anything. You may think you're hiding it, but the lesson to learn is every part of life impacts every part of life. There's nothing sequestered over to the side that no longer is there and no longer bothers you. It's there. It just oozes out sometimes at the least expected inopportune time that there possibly could be. And to close that circle, because of the way that Ron and I prayed before my father died, he did apologize to me and make it right. Jerk. Oh, I'm, <laughs> did that come out? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so that's an, that's another story. Well, David, this is supposed to be serious. David, he had a favorite son. That's what I'm calling him. His name's Absalom. And um, as Absalom, he stole the kingdom from his dad. He he took over the palace. He he kicked his dad out of his own palace. And David had to leave in the middle of the night through the drainage ditch. Um, he goes to war against his father. And David's men kill Absalom, thinking they're doing the right thing because he's the enemy to their king. When David finds out that his son has been murdered... He goes into a deep, dark, depressive place in his life. And his, his main general comes to him one day 
to correct him, to talk to him, to open his eyes. And this verse won't go on the screen. I just want to read it to you and ask you to listen to this. So word soon reached Joab, that's the general. Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the town, and that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life. Yet it seems to us that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you'd be happy. You see, there are aspects of life that we misappropriate the emotions that are going on. Back in the 70s, at the Dark Ages, uh, Ron and I were youth pastors at a, ch at a church in um, the Detroit vicinity. And we had three children, five, three, and one. And my younger brother, who is eight years younger than me, used to love to come and stay with us. Like I said, my home, my uh, home of birth was not um, a real pleasant place to be. So he would come and stay with us every summer and every Christmas. And, um, and, and we loved him. Ron never had a brother, so he um, really attached himself to Chuck, and um, we enjoyed having him come. But in uh, 1975, um, he had gotten into some trouble, and my parents kicked him out of the house, and the courts gave us guardianship of him. So he came to live with us at um, 17 years old. He came on December 21st. On the 25th, he and my parents got in a big argument on the phone, and um, he went in his room and took his life in our house on Christmas Day. I can't... Uh, uh, begin to tell you what that does to a family. But um, we had no idea, we had no idea how to deal with this. Um, immediately you're in the whirlwind of all the things that have to be taken care of. But afterwards, we have three small children. Ron and I were dumb as rocks. We didn't know what to do. We were young. We, we had no idea how this, we just knew it was going to affect our children, and we needed to know what to do. And in those days, you didn't go to counseling. That was back years ago in the counseling when you, it, legalism was there and rules and you just didn't go because you just should read your Bible and pray more and that's, that should be the answer. And I am telling you the Bible is the answer. For every problem that we have, the Bible is the answer. But sometimes we just need somebody to show us where it is and how to make it effective in our lives. We went to see a child psychologist in Canada, and he gave us some wonderful tools to help to help with our children. Um, but in that process, also, Ron had to be the one to see if he was still living. And the image of, of that room um, played a real effect on his mind. And he couldn't he didn't sleep for almost a year. And um, and so he had to learn how to renew his mind. Yeah, I, I, I dropped down to 125 pounds, okay? So I, I, it just, I could not let go of it. And there, there is an answer to obsessive thoughts. There is a biblical answer to obsessive thoughts. Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> so God talking, he said, you know what's going on in your life? Don't worry about it. That's tough to do when you're living your life. You know, okay, it's easy for you to say you're God. I'm, I'm down here dealing with all this crap. You know, and so, but he says, don't worry about anything. But in every situation, with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, tell God what you want. Quit holding it inside. At least sit down and be honest with God. I don't agree. I don't like. I feel cheated. I feel like you did wrong, whatever. You tell God what's going on inside of you, and then you thank God for what's going on inside of you. And verse 6 says, as you do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart, that's your emotions, and your mind, that's your thought processes, through Christ Jesus. So I can have peace even from that situation with Chuck as every time I begin battling it in my mind, I stop, I choose not to worry about it, and I tell God exactly what's going on inside. I ask God for exactly what I want from God, and then as I do that, the peace of God moves in, takes care of my emotions and my thinking. There are sometimes I did it and it worked for a minute. Get up and do it again, and keep doing it over and over until it becomes a pattern and it no longer controls your thoughts. But what do I do? Because my mind cannot be a vacuum. And so in verse 8, he tells me what to do. He says, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, lovely, pure, virtuous, good report, occupy your mind with these things. So as I'm fighting that mental struggle that's going on inside of me, I build myself a list of true, honest, just, lovely, pure, virtuous, good report things. And as I'm struggling, I pull those lists out and I read over those and I think about those and I make my mind occupied with these rather than with that. And as I do that, the promise is the God of that peace is with you. So I can have God's peace and I can also have God of that peace. If I'll just follow through and do what God tells me to do, all right? Every part of life impacts every part of life, all right? Spend your time dealing with what you have, not what you lost. God's got a stack of blessings in your life that is far greater and far superior to the stack of losses that you have in your life. And God says there is a time for mourning. It's not making light of the um, loss of someone in your life, but to continually um, let that burden you down. There's living to do. And my mother, when my brother died, made a, an altar uh, for him and had his pictures and a candle and um, things like that and just sat and stared at him all day long. And I have a younger brother who's 16 years younger than me that got totally, totally forgotten. And his life was meaningless to them at this point. And he had issues from that. So instead of looking at what they did have, the total focus became in what they had lost. 
Yeah, and we're not implying or saying you should not mourn. Mourning is part of God's structure in the human race. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't turn your mourning into an idol. All right? If I could be blunt, invest your life in people who are alive more than you invest your life in memories of the dead. Just a thought. Well, David's son, to go back to Absalom, he, for whatever reason, he decided, I, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm leaving. And he goes to another country, and he sets up house there, and he's gone for years. David doesn't pursue him. David doesn't try to find out what's going on. And finally, somebody talks to the king and said, okay, go tell Absalom he can come on back home, and we'll put him back in a palace of his own. I'll make sure he has food to eat, and we can reestablish the family bond again. So Absalom relocates, come back to Jerusalem so he could spend time with David and the rest of the family. And David never one time spends a moment with his son Absalom. He acts as if he's not even alive. It's gone. Um, we have three children, and our, uh, we have a, two sons and a daughter. And our second son, when he um, was in his 30s, uh, decided to walk away from our family. Now, we, um, we had rules. We had rules and boundaries that they were... Uh, they were expected to follow and years ago they were in the legalistic area of Christianity there were probably a whole lot more rules than what we should have had um, but we um, we had all three of them had to do the same things but our son Brian interpreted those rules as how much we loved him uh, the other two did never picked up on that but he he did and he felt like that when we had rules and he did not want to obey them or didn't obey them, that that equated our love for him. So he walked away from us and he was gone for eight years. And um, those are probably the hardest times in our whole life um, to have a child reject you. And he told us that he had found another family to take our place and didn't need us anymore in his life. So, um, I wanted to immediately get on a plane and go to Colorado and beat on his door and find out what are you, I would, I'm going to be real nice here and not say anything naughty, but what in the world are you thinking? Um, however, Ron felt like he had called Ron, told us he didn't want anything to do with us, not to call him, not to write him, not to come see him, not to have, he didn't want anything to do with us. And Ron felt like we should... Um, do what, what he's asked us to do because if we're going to be damned for what what we are asked to do and damned for not then we might as well do what he's asked us to do well through the years Ron and I had many discussions about that okay. Wait, and um, definition discussions Ar arguments I can't tell you the amount of tears that I shed over that child and the guilt and the uh, remorse I felt for things, although I wouldn't change the rules. We had to have rules. You have to have boundaries. You have to have things that your children obey to make them a good good adults. But I think some of the way that I we we'd handled the rules were um, could have been different. Yeah, um, it is 
it is possible, we know by experience, at least with one of our children, that they felt like the rules were more valuable than they. And so when or as we enforce the rules, at least one of our kids interpreted that, you don't love me, you don't like me, I'm not performing the way you want me to perform. And this goes completely around to the symptoms of abuse because I felt like when they weren't obeying the rules that they didn't love me. So it was a full circle around. And that's why it's so important not to let things fester in your life because they do affect other people. Yeah, the lesson to learn is I love you without any payment. And I'm proud of you because of these actions. Help your child realize that Jeffrey Dahmer's mom loves Jeffrey Dahmer. She doesn't like what he did. I heard her say that. Of course I love him. He's my son. Now, I have to take this one totally on myself. Because, of course, we love all three of our children. No, no question about that. I mean, we were at a, a, a couple's retreat, and Marilyn and I were the speakers for it. And without any exaggeration at all, one entire night, we laid in bed, and I embraced my wife in my arms, and I listened to her literally sob her heart out. God, what did I do? God, what could I do? God, if it would take killing me for our son to come back and be united with our family again, God, I give you permission to kill me. That's tough. But that's our side of the story. There is another side to the story, and that's our son. And he felt like, you don't love me. You don't care for me unless I keep your rules. And I have to keep your rules the way you want me to keep your rules. And we, without knowing it, taught him love and acceptance based on performance. And he reached a point as a young man, he said, that's it. No more. I'm out of here. I, I don't need this any longer. You see, the lesson for me is that I love you without that payment. I just love you. Why? You're my child. I love you. I, I, I don't have to have a reason. What if I don't do good? I love you. What if I turn out to be a Jeffrey Dahmer? I love you. I just love you. And here are some things that I'm really proud of. But whether you do these or not, I love you unconditionally. You see, we do the young things, uh, excuse me, the hard things when they're young so that we can enjoy the good things when they're grown. And it is tough. Yeah, one of, one of those things, the hard things, is my daughter was 16, and she wanted to go to a party at school, and I knew who the party, who was having the party and what was going to go on, and I wouldn't let her go. So for about 20 minutes, she's trying to talk me into letting her go and uh, debating with me on what she would do if things got bad or whatever, you, 
you all have done this, you know. And my mother was in our home at this time, and um, we were having coffee at the table. And I, w- I was telling her, you know, I, this isn't good for you. I don't want you to go to this, blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden, my mother chimes in, and she says, oh, you poor thing. Is your mom being mean to you and not let you go to the party? And on a split second, Misty turned and said, my mom is looking out for the best for me. She doesn't want me to get in trouble. And she's taking care of me. And she's a good mom. And I thought to myself, thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those drop the mic moments, you know, kind of a thing. Uh If you don't hear anything when it comes to this kind of situation, please hear this. Your kids do not need you to be their friend when they're young. But they also don't need you to be their parent when they're grown. Learn the difference. That part was preaching. Yeah, that one you learn the hard way. Um, Quickly in closing... You are not called to be a god to raise godly children. You're called to be a godly parent. You work on you. Now, you have to have the rules. You have to teach your children discipline. No no doubt about that. You're not going to make your spouse godly. You're not going to make your parents godly. You're not going to make your children godly. You can make yourself godly. And that is what you're called to do. Is that Well, how in the world does David become closer to the heart of God then? Well, the verse I read at the beginning answers it because God said, He's closer to my heart because He will do everything I tell Him to do. That is what God is looking for out of my life. And so in Psalm chapter 51, these verses will be on the screen, but in Psalm chapter 51, David has been confronted by his counselor for his immorality with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband. Here's David, who is the king. Here's his response. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say in your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loving spirit within me. Today, I'm challenging you by challenging myself. I am not perfect. I am a sinner. Pastor Josh likes to remind us from time to time in his preaching that we're all just 
broken dumpster fires. And I can't blame it. And I can't blame it. And I can't blame it. I have to take total, complete, full responsibility. I am a broken sinner. God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. Renew my heart. Give me joy again. If you've not prayed that to God before you leave our property today, would you just stop? And in your heart, would you just, God, I am a sinner, and I trust that you died on a cross as a payment for those sins. God, please be merciful to me. Forgive me. I promise you on the authority of the Bible, God's Word, He will do that. Well, I've done that, Ron. Then join me because I continue to sin even though I have become God's child. And God, I still screw up. Forgive me. Give me that joy again. And work on me as you work on you. And let's see what God does. Would you bow your heads together with me? And everybody, if you would, please stand with your heads bowed. I'm going to lead in a word of prayer. And as I do, I want to ask you and encourage you. From your heart privately, just speak to God and share your heart with Him. Dear Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for each person who is here. Whatever part of this message that you want to use in whichever one of our lives, I ask that you would do that. Dear God, help me to be the father to my children that they need and the husband to my wife that she deserves. I ask God that you would let each one of us investigate our own lives and may we turn over to you our life so that we could become godly rather than trying to worry about everybody else. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you love us more than anything in this world. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, I ask these things. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor Church as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and the world around us, you can visit harborchurch.com backslash give, or you can text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.